Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Spiritual Foundations of Mental Health. This is Henry Harris. Today's topic, the bully within. Okay, let us begin. We're looking at a beautiful and simple truth that there is a single, simple source behind all our experience, that we are on the receiving end of this divine flow. Everything is on the receiving end of a divine flow. There's a formless energy that is what is allowing everything to be and be and be. Uh, and included in that are the feelings and the moods and the basic emotional kind of climate that I'm finding myself in. The feelings of hopeful gratitude, feelings of insecure um, self-consciousness, nervous, anxious, all those feelings that we can feel. Sometimes they're not fully visible to us, but, but we're experiencing all kinds of feelings and psychological experiences. They are part of a world that is being created moment to moment to moment. And there is nothing of this world that can create those feelings because all power is simply located in one location. It's only, there's only one source. There's only one way in which things get created. Now, I, I have a role. I have an exciting and powerful role. It's just that I'm not literally an author. I'm not an author of a feeling. I'm not an author in an outright way of anything of this world. But I, I have this magical capacity to participate, to be responsive, to initiate and the more I understand how the backdrop is being created, the more clarity, the more simplicity, and the more wisdom with which I can navigate. So to the degree that I look at a, a feeling and I locate it in some event or circumstance of the, of the life I'm living, it's only going to be natural for me to then figure out, okay, I like this feeling. They get, let me get more of those circumstances. I don't like this feeling. Let me get less or let me get a changed version of those circumstances to the degree that I then, based on that kind of simple but mistaken analysis, uh, to the degree that I, I kind of go there, then I'm going to get pretty engaged in trying to run from or manage circumstances because that's the key to my state of mind and feeling and, uh, and then I'm going to get worn out. I'm going to get tired out. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to uh, experience a, um, a lot, a lot of, a, lot of a, a potential hopelessness to the degree that I really believe that the feelings and, and experiences that I want in life are dependent on the things that are happening. I'm, I'm going to get caught in this kind of tug of war, in this entanglement I need to analyze and react to the life around me at all times. And it's not even going to be visible to me. I'm just, I'm just going to be doing it because it seems like it's reality. But it's, it's, uh, it's of course, built on a misunderstanding. The reality is, is that I'm having experiences. And it's not directly relating to the events and circumstances. I'm having a flow of understanding. I'm having a flow of feelings. I'm having a flow of moods. And I get to watch that. I get to be interested in how that works. I get to be interested in how I can have warm and grateful feelings, 
and simultaneously I can be interested in watching how I can get insecure and jealous or frightened or anxious or angry. So uh, that simple appreciation that we are on the receiving end of this flow, it, it allows me a whole new capacity to be responsive in life, to be thoughtful, to be able to be with life in a different way, to be, in, to be unconditionally present in a way that I can, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not having, I don't need to react. I'm not, I'm not stuck in a, um, I'm not stuck or on, the, on, on what I would describe as kind of a victim experience. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to thereby avoid unpleasant feelings. It's just that to the degree that I'm aware of experiencing an unpleasant feeling and I know that it's um, not in my control and there's nothing that I'm doing wrong or there's nothing that someone is doing wrong as a result that is accounting for that feeling, it allows me a whole new capacity to be in my life. Um it reminds me of something I've mentioned in the past called the serenity prayer. God, give me the, the, uh, the strength to identify what I cannot change, the courage to change what I can change, and the wisdom to know the difference. The strength to know what I cannot change is very powerful. Very powerful. I mean, I just think about my wonderful relationship with my children and the degree to which they are not programmable. My children are not programmable. I can't say to them, do this and then rely on the idea that they will always do that or don't do this and rely on the fact that they will never do that. No, it doesn't go like that. So I make a request of them to eat their food with utensils. And lo and behold, one meal later, they might very well not act in that same manner, right? They, they, they just, they've, they've, it's, it's a whole new meal and why should I remember what you told me last meal? So I have an opportunity to express it again. Now, it, it can look to me, it can feel to me bothersome. It can feel to me just like upsetting. And then I'll kind of lurch into analysis mode. Well, why is it that I feel bothered? Why do I feel upset? Oh, because they're not listening. The reason I feel upset is because they're not listening. Um. And what all that says about me and what it says about them but to the degree that I'm getting more comfortable with a feeling, it's not something that I'm generating or that circumstances are generating. I, I do have a feeling of impatience. I do have a feeling of, of annoyance. But I, I now have this more frequent capacity to be with that annoyance and then be responsive to it. Let's see. Do I want to communicate annoyance? I don't think so, because I really want a warm, I want a warm connection with my child. I, I want to affirm a loving and warm connection. And I might get him to be compliant if I express anger and annoyance at his not using a utensil, but I don't know if, I, I don't think I want that, right? So all of a sudden there's like, there's this capacity to experience choice. Now, does that mean that in the moment I no longer feel annoyed? Not necessarily, I might still feel annoyed, but I can be with that annoyance. And that's powerful. That's really powerful. The truth is, is that there are certain requests that I've, that I make with my children that I'm aware of making literally thousands of times. And I'm so grateful that I make them with a growing measure of equanimity. 
a growing measure of kind of like, oh yeah, um, do you think you could eat the food over the table as opposed to over the chair, over the floor? Oh, can you use your utensil? And I'll ask it in a tone that is truly kind of neutral and somewhat friendly. Like, and it's not a, it's not, I'm not doing it with sarcasm. I could, I probably have done it with sarcasm, but I'm amazed by the degree to which I can make a request literally thousands of times and not feel um, fooled, not get fooled by the degree to which, hey, this is a problem that I'm feeling this way, or if I feel annoyed or, or frustrated by a lack of a lack of their listening, that the reason is because they're not listening and I got to double down or I got to... I, I do get fooled. I do get annoyed at times, but I'm amazed by the degree to which, thank God, there are many, 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 many requests or many times where I don't, I don't react. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of able to navigate or ride that annoyance feeling. Okay. So that's a little bit of our intro. Now I, talked about I really I gave this this week's talk a title of the bully within I got a question recently from a wonderful young man who I talk with who's a yeshiva student he's a student in a new yeshiva and he thank god it's a crowded yeshiva and he and his learning partner learned side by side with another pair of boys that are they get distracted relatively easily and they kind of saunter into non-Torah non conversations. The goal of the yeshiva is to be focused on learning the Talmud and to be having to be engaged in, in the Talmudic learning and discussions. And they, they, don't, they just conk out and they start talking and schmoozing. And it's noticeable to this boy and it's distracting to him. And he's unsure what to do. Um... So he asked me, like, what do you think I should do? And I was like, well, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you ask them, hey, are you able to stay on target more? Or if you need to talk about other things, could you take a break from the study hall? It's, I'm having a hard time distracting, having a hard time being on, not being distracted. So his response to me was, no, I can't, I can't do that. And I was like, why? He's like, well, first of all, they're going to feel they're like they're going to feel judged by me. And I don't want that. And second, I, it's probably not going to help. Like, it's what, what are they going to do if they're having difficulty? And it is difficult. He said it's over three hours of learning, and to be focused for continuously for over three hours is a real challenge. So, I just don't see how it's going to help. I was like, well, are you able to just kind of grin and bear it and learn and be concentrated despite that distraction? He's like, no, I can't. I, I really see that I can't do it. I'm just getting so distracted. So I thought about that for a bit. And I was like, well, what came to my mind was, I don't, I don't get this. There's something a little bit fishy here. You're not willing to raise the subject with them for two reasons. One is because you feel that they're going to feel judged by you. I don't get that. Like, that's a reason. That is that the, like, let's just step back for a second and ask, well, what's, what is the right thing to do? I mean, you're a, you're a, you're a yeshiva student. Your, your whole goal in life is to do various commandments, learning Torah being the, cent the centerpiece, but 
whatever the Torah commands of you, it is that you're interested in doing, whether it's comfortable or not. So you have an obligation to learn. And if there's an obstacle to you doing that, that's a big deal. And you're kind of duty bound to address it. So I don't understand, like, isn't that your bottom line obligation? You're telling me that they're going to feel judged by what you're doing. What, what does that mean exactly? And, and second, if it's going to be effective or it's not going to be effective, like that's your second reason it's not going to help. I don't know. How do you know? How do you know that's going to be the case? And is that your job? Is it your job? It's, a, it's certainly a good thing to anticipate what would be effective, but if there's no other means and you're, you are duty bound to try and address an obstacle to you fulfilling your duty, then I don't, I'm not sure why you're not willing to do that. And when we looked at the matter further, it kind of struck me. I said to him, you know, is it when you say that you're concerned that they're going to feel judged by you, tell me, is it the case that you judge them? Do you look down on them and view them as somehow, um, do you feel judgmental toward them? And he paused. He didn't have quite, he didn't have quite clarity about that. But what occurs to me is that I think he does. I, I think the reason why he's concerned that they would feel judged by him is because he does judge them. What does that mean? What's the logic behind that? What's the logic behind his judgmentalness toward him? Is I think that he views them as, look, guys, you're you're here to learn, and the fact that you can't do it um, is kind of is kind of you know it's kind of pretty. It's worthy of judgment. It's pretty. It's kind of low. But it's problematic that you can't learn for this entire time. Now, I'm not comfortable sharing that with you, but that's how I feel. <laughs> that's what it occurs to me. And I think that internally, he doesn't. it doesn't sit with him. Like, he's not prepared to stand in that conviction. That is his conviction, but he simultaneously, even, even as he has that conviction that what these guys are doing is pretty judgment-worthy, um, even if he has that conviction, he he also senses that there's something not quite noble about that conviction. He's not really ready and willing to stand in it. And I think the reason is because it's because the truth is is that uh, a judgment of such a of such a of such an inability. These guys having difficulty being focused on their learning for several hours. It's a challenge, but. Who says that it's something worthy of judgment? It can you can bring something, you can bring a mistake in action to someone's attention without having there be a whole judgmental quality behind it. And I, I think that that's he's not seeing that. He's seeing what well, I think what he's overlooking is that the truth is is that being unable or having difficulty accomplishing a, a, a task, is something that each and every one of us is dealing with in some place in our life. There are places in our lives where we are not living up to what we sense is the right thing, what we would like to be doing. There's a gap between what we're, uh, what we aspire to, what we believe is right, and what we feel capable of of doing. Every single person in this world has a place in their life where they sense this is right, but I'm not doing it. Now, the really important thing is. Why is that? Like, what's the conclusion they draw? To the degree that they draw the conclusion, there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with my life, there's something wrong with my past, there's something wrong with my character, there's something wrong, and I'm not able to fulfill my the expectations, the right thing of me, then there's going to create grief and guilt and, and shame and, and, 
and a certain degree of escapism. Uh, alternatively, there's an appreciation that there are places in my life where I, in this, I, I don't have control. I don't have, I don't have total control. I aspire to be able to focus and stay tuned into Talmudic learning for an entire three, three and a half hour afternoon. That is the right thing to do. It's my duty. It's, it's, it's what I'm committed to. And I see I fall short. I fall short consistently. And the reason I acknowledge and appreciate that I fall short, or the, the reason I understand behind that is because I, um, because I have yet to acquire the character. I have yet to acquire, but I'm responsible to. And I'm and I'm I'm not ashamed of that. I'm facing my deficit. Clear that the deficit is something that I've placed. I've been put in this world to uh, to address, and aware that it's not fully in my control to just fulfill my deficits. But I certainly can't run away from them. I don't make excuses for them. I don't pretend that they're owing to something other than I am lacking. And I need to turn to my creator. I need to make an honest effort and I need to ask for his help to the degree that, that this boy looks at these, this pair and thinks if he thinks about himself, that the places in his life where he's falling short is because there's something wrong with him and where he's doing things right. It's because he's a great guy and he's a hot shot and where he's falling short is because he's a shameful person. Then he's going to look at others and he's going to say, these guys are blameworthy. And I don't feel comfortable bringing to their attention that they're doing something mistaken because they're going to feel judged. Because you know why? Because I actually do judge them. I judge them as being failures. I judge them as being weak. I judge them as being wrong people worthy of some kind of shame. That's kind of revealed in his discomfort with raising the whole subject with them. But if he had clarity, if he really had clarity, wow, I, I sit in an afternoon seder for three and a half hours, and I focus on Talmud 90% of the time. That's mind-boggling. Like I certainly, I certainly have my desire to do it, and I'm certainly making my effort. But the reality is, is that to be able to focus on Talmudic learning for 90% of the time, whoa. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me the wherewithal to be to be focused and be staying like crazy gratitude. It would look different to him when he looks over this pair that are not experiencing uh, the capacity to focus 90% of the time. And he would just be able to say to them something like, guys, I don't, I'm not sure what to do because I'm, I don't judge you. I just, you should know it's distracting. Maybe I can be of help. I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I don't judge you. It's an extraordinary gift to be able to focus all afternoon and I'm grateful that I am able to focus more than more today than a year ago or five years ago. But I just want you to know it's 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 an obstacle. Is there something we can do about it? You know, like it wouldn't occur to him as it, there wouldn't be an internal conflict within him to raise this because he wouldn't feel that he himself is judging them. He wouldn't be looking down on them. He would have so much gratitude for the reality of results in his life, for states of mind of concentration in his life, that when he would look at another person without that concentration or clarity, he would, it wouldn't occur to him as a judgmental thing to do. And then it's just a matter of like information in the same way that if he saw them getting up from their learning session every day and there was like a, a 
like a, a pocket, a pool of cash on their seat. That apparently there was some kind of a hole in their pocket, and money was coming out every day. He he wouldn't. I don't think he would feel self conscious about saying, "Guys, your cash just fell out of your pocket." And if it happened a second day and a third day, I think he might point out to them, "You know, I I don't want you to miss out." Like. Is there something that you want to address about the fact that everyday money is being lost from you? It, it probably wouldn't occur to him as a, a a judgment toward them. It would be like, hey, there's a deficit here. And do you want to do something about it? I think that's what's going on. I think I think that there is a an internal confusion on his end that the feeling that the that the that the obstacle in him addressing his need with them is because what he doesn't appreciate is how judgmental he is of them. That's what's going on. And that judgmental feeling is owing to a confusion inside of him about where and how results happen. If he saw more clearly that his capacity to accomplish concentration and learning was a gift to a very meaningful extent, it's a real partnership, it would not. It just wouldn't occur to him as a as a um, as a judgment. And if it wouldn't occur to him as a judgment, then he could raise it with them. And then on the on the second point of like, I don't know that, that what's the likelihood that they're gonna. That I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get results if I raise this with them. What are they gonna do? They can't just flip the switch from going from point A to point B, not concentrating and focusing till yes, concentrating and focusing. So why should I bother that? to me, is also a misunderstanding. None of the results that we get in this world are because we create results. So why should we undertake anything? It's only because <clears throat> it's, <clears throat> it's only because we understand that the results that we have are a gift. And to the degree that we understand that they're a gift, then we're not discouraged. We don't, we're not as calibrated toward results a conditionalness to our commitments. It's not inappropriate to anticipate uh, possible outcomes, but it certainly can't be that our perception of what is possible, our perception of how things are going to go, should be the <clears throat> should be the deciding matter of what it is that we're willing to undertake and what we're not willing to undertake. This is a person who who believes very strongly in the value of spending his day focused in learning and is willing to live with this stuckness, is living with stuckness like I can't concentrate, I can't accomplish my learning because I can't raise the matter of my needs with my neighbors who are a, sor a source of distraction to me in accomplishing my needs. All of that ties back to the original title that I put on this, which is that there's an inner bully. There's an inner bully that says you get the results that you get and therefore, what results you don't get is because you can't get them, and you're the you're the you're the big shot that gets where you need to go. And when others can't get that, it's because they're not big shots, and where you can't get it, you're not a big shot. It's all this this self centeredness that, in fact, ends up being a source a bully of sorts that blocks us from being able to to do things that are new. That to, to undertake things that represent change, that undertake to undertake things that represent possible risks. It's an internal bully that's ultimately a self-centered and egoistic claiming of results and claiming of authority. And it's just not true. The good news is that we are not 
the actual author of results. We're not the actual author of all our states of mind and feelings and levels of concentration. We are partners and we get to look at and see what it is that we want, what it is that is that what, what our divine job is in this world. And then we get to move in the direction of that divine job, despite the experience of what we're missing, what, what is missing right now, we're, we, we, we are able to face those deficits knowing that there's in fact exactly the plan of this, of this lifetime. The plan of this lifetime is to face the deficits that, that are of significance to us and to undertake with courage to, to move toward them, to undertake the values that we know are important, to reach out and ask our creator for help, to acknowledge gratitude where we've experienced new support and new help. And in that manner, we get to face down the internal bully.